This week on Our Thing. I said, but why would God want me to write about alien abductions? But it just stayed with me so much that I thought, okay, okay, what do I write? James Johnson takes us on an action adventure twisting super spies, alien technologies, and scriptural passages. You know, this book takes place very much in the white spaces between the scenes in the gospel. So I'm not looking to reinvent Jesus, I'm looking to honor him. And Christian author Jack Filer fills in the gaps with an imaginative take on Apostles Matthew and Simon. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is our thing. With everyone's favorite ex-gangster, Gunner, 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 What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. I am joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast. Make sure to check out his podcast wherever podcasts are consumed. Guy's amazing. I'm telling you, he's better than 99% of the podcasts on the Spotify. And you'd be like, where was this guy all my life? So welcome back to the show. Hope you had a good week. We got an interesting show. This one's going to be a bit of a spiritual Christian show, but it, we're not going to get like deep in the biblical truth and debating, although we're not, I'm down for that anytime. We just have two great Christian guests. One of them is Jack Filer, who I love the concept that he did, where he takes characters from the Bible and then creates his universe around them and brings their story to life. So I think it's super cool. It's like biblical fiction, but it's inspired by two. I'm into it. I, I think it's a great concept. I don't understand why more people don't do that. Like the Bible's got so many amazing characters and amazing stories. There's wars and and like, I'm not going to say it like perverse, but there's like sin and prostitution and war and beatings and killings and oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I'm excited to talk to them. So this all made me think, Bill, I think that you know my story, how I came to know God, but the listeners might not. And I think it's important and germane. And then I want to give you a little time too, Bill, to kind of tell me about your story with Christ. Well, when I was 19 years old, I was in jail, county jail for selling steroids. I got sentenced to six months in the county jail. Two and a half months, three months in, I'm sitting there running a poker game. And I, for whatever reason, I wasn't playing or, or housing at the time. And I remember looking on the floor and there's this little brochure, like pamphlet thing. Not sure what made me pick it up and read it, but it was called The Daily Bread. And to this day, I still read The Daily Bread every morning. Uh, I picked it up and I read and I, I was struggling with like violent thoughts that day. Uh, somebody I wanted to beat, but just almost every day in jail. But at that particular moment, I was really almost ready to pound somebody's head. And, and so it said in there, when you're thinking of doing violent thoughts or whatever, you can do this and rest on that and relax. That. And I'm like, this thing is talking to me, man. And so I go down and then there's a Bible verse that's related to this like devotional. And it, it was talking to me. So I took this thing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this thing's talking to me, man. That's weird. So I put it in my cell. I had a single man cell. And I go in my cell, and every night before I go to bed, I read one of these Bible verses and devotionals. And I swear, every single day, it was talking to me. It was so poignant and related to what I was thinking and going through that I felt like whoever authored it wrote it for me and me only. That's how powerful it was. I couldn't believe it. And around this time, a dove started landing in my window. I was 11 stories up, Macomb County Jail on 10-11 is the unit. And this dove kept landing in my window. It's a little slit of glass, this little four inch like slit of glass and it's concrete wall. And it was watching me. And I get other guys, I go, come in here, man, check out this dove. There's a dove watching me, man. And it would stay there for hours and hours and hours just looking into myself. I didn't know anything about doves and how it was representative of God or angel, nothing like that. It's the dove there. But the more I read this brochure or devotional, the more I started going through, there's something going on here. Like, this is real, man. This is God talking to me, man. I feel like I can feel it. 
That's when the Holy Spirit, God put the Holy Spirit in me. I was raised Catholic. I never finished catechism or school like that. I never really knew Jesus or anything about God, nothing like that. I went to church every Sunday for my whole life, you know, until I was a teenager. Never even listened to what they were saying. I couldn't remember a single word. But then I started realizing in jail, like, God is real, man. God is really real, and he's talking to me right now through this brochure. This is where it gets creepy and weird, but but amazing. So my girlfriend paid a lawyer uh, like 500 bucks to get me in front of the judge to try and get a time cut. They shaved 34 days off my sentence, so I'd get out early. It's a long shot, but why not? So I never went forward to the next day to read these devotionals. I'd read the devotional and go to bed, and I'd wait for them tomorrow, and then I'd read it tomorrow. But on this particular night, the day before I went to court for this time cut, I thought to myself, well, I might not be here tomorrow because if I get out by some free chance, they let me out. I won't be here. So I want to know what tomorrow's devotional because they spoke to me. I'm like, is it good or bad? Was it something? So I flipped the page and it's empty. And I flipped the next page, empty, 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 empty. There was like 10 blank pages in the back of this brochure, this devotional. Everyone was empty. And I'm like, why does it have 10 blank pages? Because I thought I was like half done. They're only once a month to give these things out. So at that moment, I swear, I go, that's God telling me, you're not going to be here tomorrow. So I slept well, went to court in the morning, got in front of the judge. My sister wrote a letter to the judge. My grandparents were there, my grandgrandpa Toko. I had some spiel lined up where I was going to say, uh, you know, I'm bad. I didn't mean it. I never, blah, blah. I'm going to do good. I got to. I actually won a scholarship in there for scoring so high in the GED. And I was going to go into how I want to go to college and all this stuff. He didn't say nothing. He said, time cut, granted, slam the gavel, boom, you're out of here, right? And that was the beginning of my walk with God. And the only thing I'll say, and I could go on to like my to prison and my whole walk with God. I really felt God in my world and in my life when I was in prison. But honestly, for the next 10 years in, in the street, I drove around and acted like a maniac on my crotch rocket motorcycle, not fast cars, girls, crazy, I, fighting, brawling. I've been stabbed, hit in the head with bats. I'm crazy. And I just knew that God was going to protect me because I knew he was real. I felt him. I'm like, he loves me. He's real. He's reached out to me. I felt him. I know he's real. He's got a purpose for me. And I walked around with my chest poked out just like, hey, man, I got God. I got the greatest bodyguard in the world. Nobody can kill me. You might be able to hurt me, but you're not going to be able to kill me. And that's how I spent my life until I went to prison. And right before I went to prison, I actually prayed, God, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of being on drugs. I'm tired of hustling and have to scrape up money. I'm tired of robbing and stealing and doing horrible stuff. I feel like a scumbag. I hate my life. I'm ready. I'm ready to do whatever needs to be done, Father. Get me out of this, man. Get me out. And three years later, I was arrested. In the next 13.3 years, I was in prison. And he brought me even closer in prison. I had all these interesting spiritual things happen to me in prison. But Bill, what is your journey with Christ? If we have time. Wow, it's a roller coaster. You know, I was like you, Italian, Catholic, just going to church, going through the motions, that kind of stuff. You know, we had CCD or you go to Sunday school, things like that. I was horrible. Uh, the times I didn't skip it and go off and smoke or something, the teacher wished I had. You know what I mean? I even remember the teacher one time just praying and saying, God help us that this kid might actually learn something today. You know, and I just thought that was the funniest thing. You know, so I was, yeah. I was just a jerk, you know? And I go through the wheels, the college and stuff. I was wild. Everybody kind of knows I was, I was wild. That's why I kind of hate almost even talking about this kind of stuff because I know no matter what nice thing somebody says about me, there's a hundred people that would go, oh, yeah. I'll tell you this guy. So it's I'm always kind of sheepish even talking like this, but I end up becoming kind of just an atheist or a guy who mm -hmm. just doesn't care. 
you know, I was always kind of educated. So I got philosophical. I started studying Rosicrucian philosophies, different kinds of things. Then I fall in with like a Wiccan group, an actual like witch's coven. And this is like a formal education into the Wiccan religion, where like every week they're teaching me stuff. I went to some rituals. I've seen a human skeleton at a ritual, that kind of stuff, wow. right? That doesn't take. So I kind of grift off of that. At some point, I fell in with some Lakota Indians and I started learning their spirituality. I did sweats. I did. <laughs> you can't make this up. Yeah. And one of them was actually a Secret Service guy for Richard Nixon. I did some stuff with them. You know, I went to powwows and like I said, I did a sweat and things like that. And I, I liked it. I really liked it. But, you know, I'm not an Indian, which I think they kind of thought I was because I'm kind of dark and I got that long hair. And Yeah, yeah. You look like you could be Indian. I look I kind of like them. Yeah. But I had to keep reminding them that I was Italian, that I wasn't an Indian. Because they wanted <laughs> me to do a sun dance, right? And go out west and put these hooks in my chest and stuff. And uh, I'm like, nah, uh, man, no. it's, it's not me, bro. But then I get just kind of back into just being wild and not really caring when I hook back up with my wife after, you know, we started dating at 17 and now I'm in my 30s. We reconnect and she is hyper religious, you know, as you know, my wife. She worked for the Pope Benedict when he was, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. But anyway, you know, she worked for Pope Benedict in Rome. She worked for the Archdiocese in Detroit. She worked for the bishop there. And so I got back with her. And the interesting thing about that is she was in St. Louis administering to a bishop who was dying. And he had told her that he kind of saw me and her and he said, there's a guy from your past and you're going to stop working here and you're going to go back and get married and stuff. And uh, he, he saw it. It was very unlikely. I can tell you that. So she reaches out to me and I'm in Florida and there's a hurricane coming. I'm on the Howard Franklin Bridge, if anybody knows it, in Tampa Bay, and the water is coming over the thing. And I was thinking to myself, like, why didn't they close the bridge? This is dangerous. And I look behind me, the sirens are going and they've closed the bridge. But now I'm on it. I got to cross. Yeah. And I'm in a pretty decent car. It was like a Chevy Suburban, a new one. But it's it's washing over the side and I'm trying to keep it on the bridge and just get across and stuff. And my phone rings. Why I answered it, I have no idea. I got my hands full. <laughs> right. But my cell rings, and I thought it was my little sister. And I said, hey, let me call you back. And she goes, well, do you know who this is? I said, yeah, it's Becca. She says, no, it's Margie. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And she's, you know, I haven't talked to her in 20 years since I left Indiana. And she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm about to get washed over a bridge. If I make it over, I'll call you back. Yeah. That's where it started. You know, we now we've been married almost 20 years. So... So she right away started ministering to you and telling you about Christ and God and 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 that and it took. Yeah, well, she wouldn't have it any other way. And at first when she visited me, she's like, well, we got to go to church tomorrow, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I got no idea where the church is, right? But I'm acting like I go all the time. So <laughs> I'm driving around kind of looking and she goes, don't you know where it is? And I'm like, yeah, it's it's here, here. And she's like, well, where's the church? And I said, I'm trying to find a damn thing, okay? So then she kind of knew that, that I did. Yeah, you were lying. Yeah. And I took her to the craziest church. and the, It was the craziest people. It was like downtown ghetto Catholic church. It was insane. People were rolling, you you know, like walking up there and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And she's like, no, that's not part of the thing. And then you see the ushers escort some crazy person out. And it was it was something. Wow. But it was the beginning of my new journey as a Christian. Bill, your story is freaking remarkable, dude. Like, man, like it's almost like it's scripted, really. You live a crazy life. But that's amazing. So was there a point, though, do you remember 
where it's sunk in where you're like, okay, she's trying to convert me or bring her closer to God. Cool. I like this girl. I'm going to play along, go to church, whatever. But was there a moment when you're like, wait a minute, this is real. Like I feel it. There was a lot, but I'd have to say it was gradual. You know, like I saw people mm -hmm. healed, people that I knew for a while that there's yeah. no way they were going to be healed. I watched them get healed and be okay. Yeah. Things like that started going like, okay, this isn't a joke. This is real. Yeah. But it was yeah. very gradual. Yeah. Mine too. Mine was gradual too. I won't say there was this hallelujah moment other than, you know, the daily bread, but it still was gradual and it continued until about six, seven years in the prison when my wife met me. And then from that point on, when my wife miraculously came into my life and fell in love with me, I'm, you know, at that point, the Holy Spirit, I just, I, I knew. But, you know, sometimes we're hard-headed. Guys like you and me, you know, we don't all suddenly get struck with the Holy Spirit and start talking in tongues. It's kind of a, a gradual thing. Right. So think about our stories and think, hey, if these two knuckleheads could, you know, turn their lives around and get their stuff together and have a good life, married, families, homes, whatever, hey, you can too. And that's all we wanted to say. But now we've got to take a quick break. But when we get back, I'm going to have my next guest on. So God bless. Be right back on 1010 The King, Arthur. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live, featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order make our thing your thing now you can get generic viagra shipped to your door for about two dollars a pill get the same impact for less call steel man pills now and get the same blue pill for about two dollars a pill call now for the 50 pill special and save even more plus get a free bonus 800-870-3609 800-870-3609 that's 800-870 3609. What's up, Atlanta? It's Bill Crooks from Art Thing Radio Show. Gunner and I love showcasing creative talent regardless of the medium. That's why we're really excited about Atlanta Stitchworks Custom Upholstery. It's Georgia's premier custom shop for all your interior needs. Serving you with 16 years of experience and quality, they truly are second to none. My good friend Fernando Moreno and team will help you bring your dreams and ideas to reality. They specialize in handmade interiors for hot rods, lowriders, cars, trucks, baggers, choppers, and of course, marine. They'll even handle your audio and window tinting. Any material, any design, anything you want tailor-made for you at Atlanta Stitchworks. For free estimates, please call 404-503-3949. 404-503-3949. That's 404-503-3949. Or if you're shy, just email atlantastitchworks at gmail.com. They'll take great care of you. Just tell them Bill and Gunner sent you. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. And we have a special guest tonight. Looking forward to talking to him. He's lived quite a life. Like so many other authors that we have on, he was a, an author bottled up waiting to happen. Now, one of those creative types, somebody with a very creative mind. His name is James Johnson, and his book's called An American Abduction. Kind of a sci-fi thriller slash Tom Clancy's type of espionage in it stuff, future technology and stuff. I love these type of stories. I'm a big reader of these type of books. He's kind of following those footsteps, but he's got a good creative approach to his story too. We'll get into that in a minute. James, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So James is from Alabama. I want to kind of trace back your roots a little. It's very important for the listeners. They want to know you and what led you to sit down and start writing and what actually inspired you to write the book that you wrote. People like that. So tell us a little about you, where you're from, a little about your life journey, things like that. Well, I'm born and raised in a small town here in Alabama, very Alabama. You know, I grew up playing sports and where I reside now is Tuscaloosa, Alabama which is about 30 miles south of Barrie. So I didn't really settle far away from home, even though I've lived and worked in other places. It's still hard for me to explain how I got into writing. The kind of rough and tumble stuff, you never would have thought somebody from such a small town had the ability to write. I I never got any inkling. That's what I was going to wind up doing. When I was in high school, I wrote poems, and my teacher liked my poems. We went to a small high school. And when I got in college, which was later in life after service and and working. You were in the Air Force, yes? Yes, yes. I was in the Air Force. How long were you in the Air Force? I've been around. I I spent one term in the Air Force, and then I decided that, hey, I want Uncle Sam to pay for my education. I was also married and had a family when I was in college, which was later in life. I started college when I was 25, which they call you old man when you're in college at 25 and you're around uh, 18 and 19-year-olds. And still didn't think about writing. I went on to work, you know, in the working life after after college. And I started this job. I was working for the government as a government auditor. And as I moved up or as I tried to move up in that job, I saw a position that I, that I wanted. And this goes back to uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. But I was getting frustrated in that particular job that, that, that I wasn't getting what I wanted and wasn't getting the recognition that I thought I should get. So I started looking at other positions and I started applying to move away from there. And it was kind of frustrating to me that I wasn't getting what I wanted. And that's when I was laying in bed one day and thinking about it, thinking about what I was going to do. This voice said, write a book. And, you know, I was like, I looked around, where did that come from? You know, write a book. I don't, I don't even read books that much. So how am I going to writing one? But it wouldn't go away. It, It lasted and lasted. And then I started thinking, well, what kind of book do I write? Do you want me to write about myself? Or do you want me to write some kind of novel? I, I don't even really read novels, so how can I write one? But then I started thinking about the kind of movies that I like. I like action-adventure-type movies, you know, the James Bond, Mission Impossible kind of movies. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd write a book, you know, an action-adventure book. So I wrote that book. Yeah. Then I thought, okay, I kind of like this. Let me write another one. So I wrote another novel, and then I wound up writing a third one. And during that time, I wasn't thinking about applying for another position. I was just thinking about these books. You know, how do I get this character in this position? And, you know, what else do mm-hmm. I do? How do I do that? That just occupied my mind. Next thing I know, that I got that position that I had been wanting. And I realized then, I said, okay, this was God giving me something else to do while I didn't go away from the job that he had planned for me. That was the job he had planned for me all along. So I, I said, okay, God, you know, I, I know that was you. I know you had this job planned for me, and I was trying to make up my own mind to go where I wanted to go. But I didn't think about it anymore after that. I saw, okay, that was God wanting me to do something that he saw a talent in me, and he wanted me to do that to get me to the position that he wanted me to have. Yeah, he gave you that talent. Yes. So uh, after 33 years of government service, I retired because I, re- I really loved that job, and I-, I knew that was God's plan, but I thought that was just his plan. I thought, okay, he wanted me to write to get through that period. Mm-hmm. But when I retired, you know, nobody could have told me that I was going to write again. 
because my plan was to just play golf, go to church, travel and things like that when I retired back in 2018. And in 2020, during the pandemic, this voice come to me and said, I want you to write a book about alien abductions. And I thought, you know, that's just a dream. That's, that's, that's just a crazy dream. That can't be God. But it wouldn't go away. It, mm. And I thought, most of my dreams, they kind of fade away. You kind of forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after time, you realize that was just a dream. But this one stayed with me. This was like April or May of, of 2020 through the rest of the year. And it just wouldn't go away. It just kept saying, I want you to write a book about alien abductions. I said, no, I know God talked to me before, wanted me to write, and he had a reason for me to write. I said, but why would God want me to write about alien abductions? And this can't be him. But it just stayed with me so much that I thought, okay, okay, what do I write? And that's when I started developing the ideals for an American abduction. I said, okay, God wants me to write again. And and I sort of figured out in my mind that, okay, he wants me to write now, now that we have more avenues to publish like Amazon, I don't think we had Amazon or a lot of ways to distribute books back then in the late 90s, early 2000s when I wrote my first three. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I, I see God's plan now. He wants me to write a book and I, I'm figuring it out. God doesn't tell you everything all at once. He, he tells right. you a little but bit. He knew you had the mind. He'd known all along that you had this creativity in your mind and he was nudging, nudging, nudging and saying, hey, use it. And I don't think it was that far-fetched or a stretch for you to just say, okay, so I feel inspired to write a book about alien abductions. So maybe you do a little research on aliens and alien abductions. The creative juices start to flow, and you all of a sudden you got this main character. Then you, before you know it, you're flowing. You're on the typewriter, your computer, whatever, and you're just banging out novel after novel. And I can relate because, like I said, when I was in the hole for 17 months, solitary confinement, God nudged me the same way. He said, you could be a writer. My, I remember the words of my grandmother saying, you write the most beautiful letters, you could be a writer. And I'm just like, what would I write? And then I sat back like you did and just started thinking, well, I, I what do I like? The type of stories that I like. But ultimately, the books that um, changed my life were To Be a King, the mafia story, because well, I had just finished those books when my wife discovered me on Facebook. And those are the books that she read and you know change the outcome of her life and here i am but i get it that that story that nudge from god for you was the same thing it was kind of a life-altering course in your life where you started listening to him because he was nudging all along and you're going to pursue this and and here we are so let me ask you about the characters in the story we don't want to give away too much of the story but we want to give away some of it so tell us a little about the the main story the the character i believe he, he ends up working for a high level security organization for the government kind of one of those top secret deals and what happens from there well the two characters that i came up with matt and tangy they were just super smart people that met in college at yale and they both were honor students, and they wound up meeting each other and getting married. And they were approached by a super secret agent for the CIA who had been sort of following and, and looking for people like that and asking them to come to work for their secret agency that had a super secret facility underground in Carlsbad, New Mexico. So they agreed to do it because Tangi was from that part of the country, and Matt also, his, his parents were from that part of the country in Texas. And they look forward to the thought of moving back. So they agreed to that job to work in that facility that I call the God facility, G-O-D, stands for Global Observation Defense Facility. And it just sort of gets wild from there. If I can back up, when I started developing this plot and the story in my mind, at first I thought, why does God want me to write about alien abductions? 
And then it hit me, and he probably just told me that I want you to write a book that not just Christians will read. I want this to have a wider range than just Christians readers. So that's why people read a lot of this espionage and, and alien type books. Mm-hmm. But I want you to put a Christian message in it. So the book is, I actually yeah. call it a Christian book that has action and adventure because it does have a Christian message in yeah. it. The characters, Matt, he's agnostic. And Kenji is a devout Christian. So that kind of dichotomy works. <laughs> I like that, Bill. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing we do. We call it the carrot on the stick, you know? As yeah. crazy and as wild as the stuff we do is, we're always <laughs> subliminally putting that little God message yeah. under all of yeah. it. So yeah. We totally dig that. All my books have an undertone of a Christian theme, some more than others, but even in To Be a King, there's a few times where they talk about God. My new two novels I'm dropping this year, same thing. One of them is very Christian-leaning, but I love when authors do what you're doing, James, and like kind of cloak the Christian message in a spy, espionage, sci-fi thriller, and it blends all together, and that's a great marketing strategy because not only do you appeal to Christians, but you appeal to the mainstream audience who loves sci-fi, who loves spy thrillers, who loves Clancy, who loves... So now you have a little bit of everybody that'll be interested in this story. And I love that. I think the Christian readers will be your biggest market. I think that's my my inclination. Right. And everything you say and the way your mind works, James, you sound like a born writer. Everything you say yeah. is what a writer says. Yeah. Well, you know, so the people that have read my books ask me, how do you think of these stories? And I, it just comes to me. I've always had a good imagination. You know, it's one of the talents that God gave me. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked, how do you think of, I can't do that. And I said, well, how do you learn how to play a guitar? I can't do that. Right. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. It's 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 not for everybody. It's but there are there are savants. I get the same question all the time. Where does this stuff come from? And I don't know. I say God. God gave me the inspiration for my imagination. There has to be an origin. Like it, it came from God. It just doesn't poof. I got a seventh grade education and I you know write these remarkable stories. The same thing with you. There's a natural talent that was hidden in you latent all your life. That's where your mind was going all your life. And then when this happened, which is awesome, you start creating this cool story. I'm really proud of the book because when God told me to write it, I thought, okay, he wants me to write this book and then publish the other three that I just had sort of on the back burner. So what I said to myself is, okay, I'm going to put a lot in this book. I'm going to put not just aliens in it, but I'm going to put government spy agencies and all of that the facility in New Mexico has wound up being run by a, a government spy from Russia that's been planted in the facility, as well as a Colombian official that's wound up working himself to uh, be head of the facility. But their plans is to get that knowledge and use it for their own benefits for their own countries. Alien technology. Right. The Colombian would try to be selling them coke. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also alien technology that's going on in the facility that Matt and Tangi doesn't know about, right. uh, the reverse engineering and things like that, people running those things. So Matt and Tangi's job is basically a cover for the other reverse engineering and the alien technology that's going on in there. The government, uh, the CIA is using that as a cover, this mind control program that, that they've been asked to develop to get government funding to, you know, to keep the facility running. Right. But they're bringing people in, not really believing that anybody is going to actually develop a mind control program, a, a real mind control program. Mm. But then to back up, there's aliens that know about this facility, but they don't know what's going on in there. So they abduct Matt and Tangi and plant a chip in Matt. It's, it's sort of a spy chip. They plant a chip in his knee so that they can find out what's going on in that facility as well. So there's a lot of things that the government of Colombia, they know about the mind control. They want the mind control program 
when Matantangi develops it so they can use it to control people's minds. They want to control America by getting them even more hooked on drugs. As an alien nerd, what kind of aliens are we talking about? What do they look like? Well, they're described as typical aliens. They're grayish with the big yeah. eyes and, and, and the big head. and Yeah, which is good. And they're just sort of in the background when they abduct Matt and Tangy. Matt just sort of sees them out of the corner of his eye because he's strapped down with straps and, and they're sort of monitoring him. But they communicate with them telepathically. Uh, yeah. And he asked him questions about, you know, what are they doing and things like that? And what, what are they here for? And Bill, if you see me smiling right now, this, this is because I'm into this. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there yep. grinning. I'm like, anyway, this is my kind of story. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a listener and a reader. And did he tell me enough to make me want to read the book? He certainly did. I want to read the book. And I'm a hard sell. But I'm thinking anyone who hears that. Is going to want to, you know, aliens, the secret facilities, you know, double agent, super agent, alien technology. This is stuff that people who read these things are going, all right, this sounds pretty good. And also I that the fact that he, he put it in God's hands and he said, God inspired me to do this. That alone is enough to make some readers just go, hey, let me take a closer look at this guy. You know, this guy's a federal worker. He's in his 50s. He says, I'm going to write a book. Boom, writes a book. And this is what he comes up with, which is remarkable, you know? Well, when, when I was putting it together, I thought at the time, okay, let me throw the kitchen sink into this book. I'm going to have alien abductions as well as human abductions. Those governments are going to be trying to abduct uh, Matt and Tangie as Double. well. So, so they, there's a lot of escape. <laughs> there's a lot of situations they have to escape from to survive when everybody starts going after them. So, you know, I thought, let me put espionage in it. Let me put government. Let me bring China into it. Let me bring the, all of the, the countries that want to control America and, and stuff like that. So a little bit of all of that is in there. It's almost a partial sci-fi political thriller with that. I love all that lean. Plus, it's all the stuff that probably is going on if there's aliens. Yeah, right. So, James, what's your thought on aliens? Are you someone who believes in it? Uh, well, I do believe there is other intelligent life. You know, when you read my book, my book, I like to think is very thought provoking because I have all of these theories and all of this. It works itself out in the end to make you say, you know, that could be happening. Not only yes. with aliens but also with the governments and how they're operating. Right. Yeah, so, this is possible. Uh, I feel the book is very thought-provoking. You know, Mary Hemingway, the, the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, did the foreword for my book, and she really pushes it out there in her foreword that you might think a little differently next time you look up in the sky. So she right. sort of brings that out. She worked with the publishing company that published my book, and she read it and liked it, and she has her endorsement in it. Did you say it was Muriel Hemingway? Uh, Muriel yeah, Hemingway. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I got a trailer of her saying that, like, you know, or giving it a plug. It's a very powerful endorsement for sure. But what I wanted to say was I sit down and I thought about, OK, I watch Mission Impossible. I watch James Bond. I love all of this. Let me throw all of this in it as well as, as religion and as well as a spiritual thing, because I thought it was going to be my last book. I thought, OK, God wants me to publish this one. As well as go back now that, now that we have Amazon and all of these other ways of publishing, he wants me to publish these four books. Uh, it was late 2021 when I was finishing up the book and looking for a publisher. He told me, I want you to write another book. Uh -oh. That's awesome, though. But I think when an author goes in, you should say, if this is the last book I'm ever going to write, leave it all on the table. Yes, yes. And that's what I tried to do in this book. I think when you read it, you will believe I put a lot in it. But he told me, I want you to write this book about a clash between the inner city and the upper crust people coming together for some cause. And the name of that book is Uptown Ghetto. I finished that last year. And then he had me to write another book 
which I finished, has the mafia in it, as well as the KKK. It's the second book that I'm working on getting published now, and it's being published. And it's about an ex-mafia guy that wants an author to write a book, clearing his brother's name and having his brother killed in that book so that the mafia will quit looking for him. I wrote that book. It's called Bestseller. And, and then last year, I finished the Bestseller too, which also has the mob in it. And when when God told me to write that second book after I wasn't even published with American Abduction yet, I knew then that God wants me to write. So (laughs) you're on the road. Yeah. Uptown Ghetto is about the coolest name I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I like it. That's a great title. Uptown Ghetto. You were a writer all along, man. That's what I was trying to say. Every writer may at some point say, this is my last one, and then they write 10 more. So I'll never say my last one because I enjoy writing so much. It's my passion and my joy that I'll wait until I'm 80, 90 years old until my fingers don't work anymore. And you'll probably be the same way, James. You'll be cranking out new stories and novels and your mind will always be out there in the universe, you know, and creating. I can see that now. I've actually written six books, work on number seven and have ideas for at least six more. And my wife asked me, you know, she said, why do you always write about a murder and crime? I said, well, that's what I have the talent for. Right. But I said, OK, I'll, I'll do something that you want. And, and on Christmas Day, I thought, I'm going to write some children's books as well. So I came up with what I call a Dooley Dooley series. So I'm going to be starting to write some children's books as well. So I'll be writing those along with the, the action adventures. So it's about children running away from murderers. <laughs> or aliens. <laughs> well, yeah. well, actually, there, there'll be real children's books that children will be interested in. And it, yeah. it'll just be another side of me. It'll be, it'll be a positive message in there for the kids. Yeah, I like children's books to have a positive message. Yeah, it'll be positive moral yeah. type yeah, of, yeah. of good moralistic books. Well, James, it sounds great. I want everybody to go out and buy this book, An American Abduction, Alien Spies, Espionage, Double Agents, Alien Technology, Secret Agencies, everything that we love in this type of book or or story. So I hope everybody goes and checks it out. James, you also have a website. What is your website? My website is jjsnovels.com, jjsnovels.com. You can actually go to, uh, there's links to Amazon to order the book from my website, or you can just go straight to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Books a Million and, and order the book. Follow him on social media, James Johnson, on Facebook, Instagram, and make sure to support this guy. It's a beautiful thing. So, James, well, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate you. We have to go. My next guest is about to come on. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. It's great man. to meet you. Thank you. God bless. Have a great night, brother. Well, that's another guest in the books, but stay tuned. we got to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on 1010 The King. It's our thing. Writing a book can be fulfilling and rewarding, but often the biggest challenge is getting it published. Yet, self-publishing for print, ebook, and audiobook can be a daunting process, and then you have to market and sell it. White Pine Publishing and consultants can help you with all of that and more. We're not a traditional publisher. We're a consulting and services company that assists you with all aspects of self-publishing your book, including ghostwriting, coaching, editing, proofing, formatting, marketing and sales, and even web design. Visit our website at whitepinepublishing.com to learn more about our services and get in touch. With White Pine's integrity, industry knowledge, and experience, you can let us do all the hard work so that you don't have to. Check out all of our self-publishing services, pricing, and author testimonials at whitepinepublishing.com. What's up? Welcome back. Art Thing on 1010 The King. I'd like to introduce my next guest. 
Jack Filer. So I, I've been trying to do some outreach to Christian authors. I really want to help Christian authors. I feel like God has been moving me to to help them, you know, and I just want to do my part to spread God's word. So Jack, go back in time. You're younger than me, I imagine, or close to my age, or probably a little younger. We're, we're probably not far apart. Probably not far apart. Yeah. So tell me about where you're from, where you grew up, what kind of kid you were, Tell me about you. So I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, where I still live. I have oh, not yeah. moved far from, from where I grew up. Which, by the way, I have a feeling is very much like the suburbs of Detroit. There's a huge Italian community in Detroit. There's a huge Italian community in Philly. I think it's kind of a rough and tumble area. So they're very similar in my, from what I know. But you close your eyes to sneeze, and the next thing you know, you're in farmland. Yeah, it's kind of like that in Detroit. You know, it's like 20 miles, but that's yeah, cool. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm kind of out on those those fringes where, right. uh, you know, not far from the rural stuff either. So... Where'd you go to school? Did you go to college? What was your career choice? The career choice actually was shortly after high school. I got into banking, did some college classes, uh, never went for the full semester, you know, four-year degree type thing. Just took classes as needed uh, for my career. And that lasted close to three decades. Yeah, that's a better way to do it, really. Which I have a bachelor's degree, but I got more out of it when I went back specifically like you did. I'd go back just to learn a coding class, just to learn a database class. I got so much more out of that than I ever did uh, taking history of, you know, Western film. Right. Yeah. So, Jack, what was your career choice? What direction did you take your life? Well, I spent most of that banking time in the compliance area, uh, dealing with fraud security, which has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm doing now. So, for you know, close to 20 years, I was bank security guy at the local bank, and late 2019, my employer and I were increasingly not seeing eye to eye, and we parted ways. And that was December 2019. So you know what happened next? Yeah. It was 2020 rolls around just as I'm getting into the swing of looking for new work. That's when the world broke. And so all the networking meetings, the job interviews, none of that stuff was happening. You know, my son got sent home from school because the school closed, because the world closed. And I spent the year being a stay-home dad with him. And that was when... You were bitten by the writing bug. I was bitten by the writing bug. I mean, not that it was the first bite, but it was the first bite that I actually responded to. As the writing bug's been there probably since my teenage years, uh, just you know, growing up... Probably all your life. Yeah, just you know, growing up enjoying some of the fantasy books related to some of the nerd games that I was into, you know, spinoffs of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering and you know, stuff like that. Well, that's a common theme. We just had a guest on with a similar thing. I was the same way. I didn't start writing until I was 30 years old in prison. And there's always some kind of catalyst typically that happens. Could be a major life event, like you're talking about the COVID thing that sat you down and made you think. Did you have like a one moment, a spiritual moment? There was a spiritual moment in my life where I was in solitary confinement in the jail where I just got jumped by the police and I was all busted up. And at that moment, I thought about killing myself. And then it's like I heard God tell me, I mean, I know this sounds crazy to even think about it, but I looked down the hall and it was like a black hall and there's a speck of light, a little window on the door way down there. And then it shrunk down to a pinhole. And I said, that pinhole is the light of hope. So don't give up. Don't kill yourself because they wanted to give me 30 years. And then, well, what am I going to do? And then I remember my grandma's voice saying, you write the most beautiful letters. You could be a writer. And I looked over and there's all these books on my desk. And I just like, I'm a writer. I'm going to start writing. And, and I just ended up writing nine novels. I wrote three of them while I was in solitary confinement for 17 months. Was there that type of moment in your life or did it kind of just progress? It, it was definitely a moment. And you know what you said is not crazy at all. You, you let it be saying it might sound crazy and I promise you it does not. 
So, you know, for me, what it came down to is, you know, just going a little stir crazy being in the house. I had been studying the craft, picking up books about writing for probably mm-hmm. five, six years. I've been studying the craft, hoping to one day do it, but life always got in the way. Well, guess what? 2020, life's not in the way anymore. So, yeah, you got the time. Plus, with Gutter, I mean, God also sent him Dr. Kevorkian. So there's a bit of a mixed message. There. <laughs> yeah, in my first day in prison, I got off the bus to go to the Chaw Hall, and this old man walks by. And I think to myself, like, what did this old man do? And the guy behind me says, you know who that is, right? He's like, it's Jack Kevorkian. Get the hell out of here. So I ended up meeting him and talking to him. He wasn't very friendly or nice. I hurt my shoulder and I asked him, you know, <laughs> is there anything I can do with my shoulder? He's like, I'm not that kind of doctor. He goes, Oh, you're hurt? <laughs> <laughs> right? I got oh. you, man. I got you. Yeah, here's a noose. A little extreme for your shoulder. We're probably being a little hard on him, but whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So God made it clear that the banking door was closed. He made it clear that he was taking me in a new direction. I mean, there was a long time in this nudge that's like, that he's saying, You're going to serve me. And yeah, I'm just kind of pushing it off, pushing it off like, no, I'm not a pastor. But he, he was never asking me to be a pastor, but he was asking me to serve him full time vocationally, just in another way. And I didn't know what that way was. And my wife said to me, she said, well, you're a good writer. Why don't you write? Because she had seen the things I'd put together for church newsletters, for Bible studies that I've written, things like that. So I just started looking out on Indeed, looking for you know, just gigs, writing devotional, stuff like that. Stumbled on some of the freelancer sites. And started getting some gigs that way. Probably wrote you know, about a year's worth of devotions for an app developer. Uh, Ghost wrote a couple of devotionals for uh, some other clients. Did some editing work. Provided some articles for some other Christian websites. Now, as you're doing this, are you thinking about like a full-on book? Or what was that hallelujah moment where you said, this is what I want to write? So the hallelujah moment came, and it was kind of two things that happened simultaneously, and they're not even related to the book that we're here to talk about, but to my first book, which was an Advent devotion. Through my professional network, I had gotten in touch with a local publisher. You know, so about the time that I'm making this connection, it occurs to me, you know, writing a book is in reach. I'm doing all this writing for other clients. There's no reason why I can't write something that has my name on it. Right. So I started putting on this Advent devotional between client projects and at the same time getting connected with this publisher that just you know, guided the self-publishing process. So that was my first book, which came out in the summer of 2022. And then around that time was when I got the aha for the novel, Coin and Dagger. And how that came about, I actually have to take you back to another aha moment 15 years ago to bring it to where those two different paths converge. You know, even though I had grown up in the church, was going to Sunday school, came to faith in Jesus in my teenage years, a lot of the scripture was just very two-dimensional to me. Like you go back to Sunday school, you think of like those felt cutouts on the board that the teacher puts up there to depict all the little scenes. And that's kind of how I always picture them is, you know, okay, you know, there's these guys in the boat and then all of a sudden Jesus is on the scene and then poof, yeah, he says the magic words and they follow him. But it's not that simple. It's like there's a whole rich story and, and interaction happening there. Yeah. And the thing that first opened my eyes to that, I was reading a book is called Eli by Bill Myers. And in this book, Bill Myers imagines an alternate universe where Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago, but he came in 21st century America. So as he's retelling the gospel story as if it were happening in our culture, in our time, I'm trying to make these connections here. Well, why is he portraying the disciples this way? Or, you know, what does this setting represent? It just, it tore the insulation off. The 2,000 years of insulation that had been between me and the pages of the Bible. And it made me really want to understand that time, that place, those people, and just get into what's really happening there. Uh, To get a sense of the culture, the worldviews, the dynamics, everything in play. 
So fast forward 15 years and you are now deciding on a writing career and a subject matter to write the book. And so you're going to take some of that wanting to know that information from back then, maybe some of it you read and studied, whatever, and you fast forward and said, I'm going to create this book coin and dagger. Does it take place now? Uh, No, it actually takes place in the first century. And so this is biblical fiction that very much intersects with the gospel story. Yeah, I love it. Uh, But it intersects from the point of view of two of Jesus' lesser known disciples. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. I know him well. And how I chose these two, and that was where the uh, more recent aha moment came from. We're at a church meeting and just doing some brainstorming and visioning. This is probably 2021 at this point. I couldn't even tell you the specific thing that was said that prompted this line of discussion. But as we're just kind of doing a little visioning and, you know, what is being the church in this post-pandemic environment look like? And somebody had mentioned something that uh, it's probably providential. I forgot what it was, but it sounded like it was a very politically charged thing to say. And half the rooms, eh, I don't know about that. And, <laughs> right. you know, and somebody says, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. And th- the words that came out of my mouth were, but what Jesus did do was he invited Matthew, the tax collector and Simon, the zealot to be on the same team. Yeah. My pastor stopped. He just stopped in his track as he's going for the whiteboard. He turned around to look at me and says, preach that. And this book is the vehicle by which I preach that. I love it, dude. Listen, Matthew's one of my favorite characters in the book. And I always, you know, I have young Christians that are a little, you know, still evolving or not there yet. The first thing I say is read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, these are great, great characters. I'm assuming you've seen the series Chosen, right? You're not the first person to ask me that, and I have not seen it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I've got it pegged to my streaming service, marked as a favorite. Season two was airing when I was writing this. It was one of those things that I want to say it was fear that kept me away from it. I didn't want to watch this and then scrap my story or watch this and then end up, you know, stealing ideas and get accused of plagiarism. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, you want to isolate your own vision, your own story, character development, whatever. Yeah, but I I know I need to watch it so I can talk intelligently about it now. And here's my professional opinion as a writing coach, I would strongly advise to go back, go watch it every episode from the beginning. And a guy like you is not going to steal and plagiarize, but it will inspire. And you'll use your own mind, you know, creativity to build characters and character nuances and various scenarios, like you said. To your point, Jack, the Chosen does make a 3D story out of some two-dimensional stories. Yeah. It adds that level of depth you're talking about. So it's kind of cool. You guys are kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah, and I I am looking forward to watching it. I think now that my book is done and it's out, I I think I can uh, as soon as I, you know, get the time. Well, here's the thing, man. You need to write another book. I say this to almost every author. Uh, It's in the works. You know, you're really just scratching the surface. If you have these biblical characters, you could even make a volume two, like a series of what you're doing now, the same characters. And there's a huge, huge market for these books. I mean, huge. There's a massive market for biblical books and a massive market for this. So if you can twist in the kind of historical fiction element of it, dramatize the characters and the happenstances of the Bible, I really think this is the most underutilized angle in publishing. I mean, here you have some of the greatest stories ever. You have a massive built-in audience of 2 billion people in the world who are Christians. All you got to do is take what God inspires you to write, which is essentially what you did, right? That is what I did. And the next book, I'm already researching that, which is going to be another piece that uh, intersects with the Bible, but it intersects with the story of a guy who we only see in a single scene. Who? As a blind beggar from Jericho named Bartimaeus. Amazing. Perfect. Amazing. 
Yeah, it's perfect. His whole life. So my next story will be about him. You go all the way back to his youth, go back to his childhood. His whole life. And there's so much there that could have happened. But then you tie it into the moment he meets Jesus, and then that changes history. Yeah, and he's in the coin and dagger. Of course, you know, that scene does take place here in this novel. So I was able to to kind of include him as a side character in the kind of the, the back third of the story. And I just, I had fun with his personality because there was just some things about his persistence and his hope that made me say, this is a guy that's got some rich story space that you, you need to write around. And so just drawing on him as a side character in here, and there's there's a handful of pieces in this book that I think would you know, make good spinoffs where I've you know, discovered these people that just have little scenes in scripture that really could make big scenes in novel. Yeah, but of course, you know, Coin and Dagger is all about Matthew and Simon. You know, this book takes place very much in the white spaces between the scenes in the gospel. So it's set in the same time, but and yeah. where it intersects with the gospel, it stays true to the text. I'm not looking to reinvent Jesus. I'm looking to honor him. Sure. So the main conflict you'd think on the surface is between Simon and Matthew because they are on opposite sides of the socio-political uh, environment that they are in. They are enemies. Makes sense. But really, the, the bigger conflict that unfolds, and you see a, kind of a, this parallel character arc that each of them follow is as they each grow closer to Jesus, despite their antagonism with each other, is the life that they're each entrenched in starts to crumble. It starts to turn on them. You know, Matthew can't continue to get closer to Jesus and not find himself at odds with the hierarchy above him in the Roman tax machinery. Simon can't continue to get closer to Jesus without ruffling feathers among the revolutionaries that want something done. So the more they spend time with Jesus and the more he changes them, the more their old world works against them. And that really is the same path that every one of us who knows Jesus has gone through and continues to go through as we can't live in both worlds. They're battling their old life. They're battling their old self to get closer to Jesus. So that's the main conflict, which is an interesting thing. Like the main conflict is really with themselves against their their old self. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because we always kind of beat ourselves up when we have moments of doubt or frustrations with our Christian faith. But they were in the presence of Jesus and had these same things. Yeah, and they were still doubting and they were still questioning. You've seen him commit miracles. Right, like Thomas and Peter. and They were physically with him. So it's a challenge. Like, you know, I got these migraine headaches and stuff like that. And if if a guy walked in and he says, I'm going to cure you through your faith. You believe in Jesus? I said, yes. And he puts his hand on my head and I instantly felt relief. That guy, I would follow him to the ends of the earth. You know, I believe the son of God, whatever. But back then, strangely enough, even when God chose them, they picked them to be disciples. They were still questioning, which is crazy. Well, he healed lepers and they just ran off and did their thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> the back to tax collected. But imagine all those ones that he did heal and he, he healed thousands of people. Those people became real disciples too. I mean, if somebody cured you of a blindness or an ailment or disease, and just by touching you, can't even imagine the faith that those people had. Yeah, but some did and some didn't. Some just hauled ass and were never seen again. Yeah, Jesus healed 10 lepers, and how many came back to thank him? One. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. So, so that, that human nature, that, okay, well, I'm just going to be God of my own life, still gets in the way. Yeah. Well, that's part of the main conflict, too, in your book, I'm sure. The kind of main conflict is your own self. It is. And I don't want to put too many spoilers out there, but they get to this point where Matthew and Simon finally decide, okay, we can work together here. They try to put their worlds together, and let's just say it does not go well. 
So it's a story about not just seeing, okay, where's the perfect balance between the way the zealots do things and the way the tax collectors do things, but it's a question of understanding, you know, what did Jesus mean when he says, my kingdom is not of this world? He's saying, you know, don't think on this zealots versus tax collectors axis. Don't think on this left-right axis. He says, I'm on a completely different axis entirely that you're not even considering. Right. Yeah, well said. And that's the thing they have to understand is that this is the axis where heaven meets earth. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Again, tell them the name of the book, where they can find it, and where they can find you. Okay, so the name of the book is Coin and Dagger. It's a biblical novel, and it is available on Amazon. It's available through other sellers as well. If you go to my website, which is jackfiler.com, and that's J-A-C-F-I-L-E-R.com, find my book there, as well as my devotionals, my blog. And I just, you know, I'm looking forward to connecting with people, and I'd love to know what they think. Awesome. Do you have social media where they can find you? Yes. I'm on Instagram and Facebook under Jack Filer Author. So at Jack Filer Author. Everybody make sure to check this guy out. If you're a fan of you know, Christian, historical fiction, Christian stuff, check it out. Support this guy, man. He's spreading the word and, and kind of sharing the untold truth about the gospel, these characters in the book. Super fascinating. It sounds like he made it very exciting and interesting to read. You know, this is right up my alley. If you are a Christian and you enjoy this type of reading or shows or literature or whatever, jump on this guy's book, check it out. Tell him what you think, man. And, you know, give an honest opinion, leave an honest review. I'm sure you'd appreciate it. So, Jack, God bless. Thanks for coming on, bro. We'll have to have you on again next time you drop your next book. But anything I can do to help, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help. But I think the key for you is to keep marketing, keep pushing, get your book out there. The more you get it out there, the more people will talk about it. They'll tell people that you got to read this book. It's a really interesting, good book. Check it out. And boom, 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 boom. Before you know it, people are jumping all over it and you got a thousand reviews. But you're not the kind of guy who's after riches and fame. You just want to shed some light on this historic time and that all points the arrows to Jesus, the glorified Jesus, which is amazing. Well said. Thank you guys for your time. You're welcome. Man. Hey, appreciate it. It's nice to meet you, buddy. You too. Thanks. You too, guys. Nice meeting you, brother. God bless. Keep up the good work. Keep writing. No fuck. And just build one. Have fun and enjoy yourself, man. All right, man. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you. You too. Bye. Well, that's it for this show. God bless. Everybody stay tuned. Meet us back here next week. Friday drive time. Commute. God bless you. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Bill, anything you'd like to add? Just as always, check our show notes. If you want to find out about the authors, I'll have all their links and make it real easy. All right. God bless. We'll see you next week back here on 1010 The King, our thing. <laughs>